Darius Jones butt. Hey, Maniacs. 50 episodes of Midsummer Maniacs. I don't know if I could count that high. Welcome to the 50th episode. Midsummer Maniacs is a f- recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show that includes the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. 50 times we've done this now. If your kids can handle Joan's bare butt, they can handle this podcast. Absolutely. Jones's bare butt. We will have to speak at length. We will speak at length about his little bare butt. 50 episodes. Yeah. Okay. So this is our one year anniversary. It is. Because throughout that last year, we took uh, two weeks off at some point. Yes. We took a week off at of Christmas and then we were late a week. Yeah. Because, you know, there Life. was a global pandemic. <laughs> it delayed us a little bit. We can laugh about it now because it hasn't directly impacted any of our family. None of us has, fortunately, none of us has caught it. We hope that you can laugh about it too a little bit. Yes. How long do you think our average episode is? An hour. An hour, six minutes, and 42 seconds. Wow, people are really tolerant then. They are. I can't believe. (laughs) We just go on and on. So take a guess. If you listen to everything that we have recorded... And released how long it would take you. Including the many episodes that we put out for the new season. We have 57 uh, episodes. That includes the trailer. 60 hours. The six minis and 50 episodes. I'm going 60 hours. Uh, Not including this episode, it is two days and 15 hours. So it would take you two straight days, almost three days to listen to all of our crap. I was off by three hours. Yeah. That's That's pretty pretty close. But it wasn't difficult math to do. And I got to say, the best part of all this is just spending time with you and laughing with you and having a good time with you. We do have a lot of fun. I hope that comes through. And, <laughs> and it's not just because it's an excuse to lock ourselves away from all of our children. Though no, that is a benefit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but also, like, this is something that we've been doing for years in terms of just ourselves. Oh, yeah. We've had these conversations for years about shows like Midsummer. It's so quaint that people on social media, they're like, oh, yes, I've watched that a second time. I'm like... Only I've two e- times? I've easily seen this episode 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little while where... So it's pretty common for us to fall asleep with something playing on a laptop nearby just because it kind of helps both of us shut our brains down. If we have something super familiar to kind of occupy our minds. And so then we just fall asleep. Um, And there was a while when it was before we started the podcast where Midsummer was the thing that we put on at night. And so I really don't know how many times I've listened to them. Sometimes, you know, you listen to those subliminal tapes while you're sleeping or something. Yes. Who knows what impact that had on our brains. But yeah, we've definitely seen all the episodes far more than twice. Couple of things I want to point out. I really knew we were on to something when we started talking about Brian Clapper's sweat soup. That was a whole. That was the second episode. And I knew we were on to something. Then. 
That was, we laughed so hard. That was the first little glimmer of proof that we could do something other than just recap the episodes, that we could actually have some value add, even if it was just something gross. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Another highlight for me is Bin Man, our little little musical uh, single. If you haven't listened to the... Uh, Electric Vendetta episode. Got all, and you've missed the Bin Man song. You missed the Bin Man song. We made a little uh, remix of yeah. Bin Man. And lately you did the Red Rev Sue animated GIF, which has been a big hit too. Yep. And <laughs> I I would say another big hit is that the official Midsummer social media people called us the unofficial official podcast. That's and maybe said when, they loved it in the office. Yeah, maybe one of the biggest compliments we've ever got. So thank you to them for sure. It does make a big difference that they are encouraging. They don't directly support us in any way. Nope, and we're not fact, asking them to. The fact that they're encouraging means a lot to me because we don't have some kind of official permission to make this podcast. Nope, nope. Right? And so they could say, you should stop because that's copyrighted material you're talking about. And I, they couldn't really stop us, but... You know, they could be against us, and they're not. They're supportive, and that means everything. Absolutely. I think uh, it's excellent. And after 50-plus episodes, you and I still have a whole hell of a lot of fun doing it. Yes. And (laughs) and the thing is, we're not even halfway. We're not even close to halfway. Mm -mm. Halfway is 63 episodes currently. That's if the global pandemic ends and they make a whole bunch of episodes later. Yeah. If not. So we have more than another year to go before we get to the end. Before we have to start thinking about, should we film something else, do a show about something else? So given that this is our 50th episode, we mentioned last time, we'll mention it again. We are going to take a little bit of a break the next two weeks. Um, we are going to release something, though. Well, we hope to release something, but it depends on you. Yes. So we're going to uh, take a break till the 17th of August. Two weeks. Um, uh, which will be our episode 51, which will be last year's model. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we want you, you to do in the meantime is send us some audio. Yeah, if you can. If you can. Send us some audio, record it on your phone, attach it to an email, upload it to Twitter, however you want to send it to us. Yep. If you can't send audio, a text, text-based message is fine. Or video even. Yeah, but just say, hey, I'm Sarah. I'm from Bloomington, Indiana, and here's why I like Midsummer, or here's my favorite episode of Midsummer, or my favorite killing in Midsummer, or my favorite character in Midsummer, or my favorite episode of Midsummer Maniacs is... Yep. And I'm a Midsummer Maniac. Yeah. And we'll edit them all together and we'll put yep. that out as a little bonus while we're taking our two weeks off. Yep. But we can only do it if you send us messages. So we hope you will. Yes. Otherwise, it'll be very short. Exactly. <laughs> and if you send us some kind of text-based message rather than audio or video, I reserve the right to read your message in a funny accent. Or have our children read it. Yeah, which would be a funny accent. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. Season nine, episode seven, Death in Chorus is our episode for this week. Filmed in January and February 2006, which if you realize that, that water is cold. Yeah. Broadcast the 3rd of September 2006, 5.8 million views. Directed by Sarah Hennings and written by David Lawrence. If you think about this episode as a whole... What's your, if you were going to describe it in just a couple of words as a Midsummer episode, well, how would you describe it? To me, this episode is not a whodunit. 
because clearly Giles is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Now, Leo sort of comes in and saves the day as bad guy at the end. He's by just killing. not the supremo bad guy. He's not the supremo bad guy. So it's not a who done it, it's a why done it. Mm. Because you don't know about the plot to fake the painting till the last minute. Yeah, yeah, till the very, very end. And before that, it's nothing but singing about a kissing red herrings. <laughs> well, how would you sum it up? I would describe it as a relationship episode. It's, a, it's more about relationships among the characters than it is about murder. It's about marriages. Yeah, yeah. About Tom and Joyce's marriage, about Lawrence and Ellen, about Caro and Giles. Yeah. yeah. Good marriages, bad marriages. Yep, all those things. Don't forget Georgie and Kath. That's right. <laughs> and their lack of ethics sometimes. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started on that woman. And um, re-watching it this time, I had to keep reminding myself that this was a midsummer, and that I hadn't just seen it recently. I had seen one of the new Father Browns. Yes, one of the new Father Browns is a choir all going to a, a competition, choir. you know. Yep. And I was like, no, 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 this is a different episode. This is a different show. Yep. They were very, it was very close. How many choir competitions are there in England? They're all over the place, man. And why only invite four choirs? And of course, they didn't mention who the other two choirs were. I thought one of them was Badger's Drift and was fully populated by zombies. (laughs) The other two choirs are losers. Oh, okay. Apparently. Losers. Losers. So we start with Connor painting and then driving Cully and Sally's old car. Why did Connor steal Cully's car? (laughs) That's one of my notes right away. Well, don't forget, Cully stole it from Sally, the district nurse. Yes. So that that car's been going around. It has been. It must be easy to rent or something. This is another example of bad paintings being called good paintings. Yeah, at least uh, average at best. Yeah. Right. Did you notice? How Connor, the starving artist, also lives in a million-dollar cottage. I made a few notes about how cozy and awesome his cottage was. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very nice house. He has a picture in his cottage that's an advertisement for brushes that I, I love. Of course you do. It's beautiful. Well, the picture that you might not have liked as much is the note that has been nailed to the beam in his house with a pig heart attached all I could think about when I first saw that was, do you like lay your hand on the pig heart while you're nailing it? Like, ew. <laughs> or, or do you pre-drive the stake? Because it's like a, a, a railroad nail. It gets a big nail. Yeah. Do you pre-drive that through the heart and then hold the whole thing up to the wall? Maybe. And hammer it. So and you where just do you put the th- note in there? Well, you, you, you press the heart with the, with the nail already through it against the paper, against the beam, and then you hammer it. This is the discussions that you've been listening to <laughs> for months. Well, uh, listeners, the last time you nailed a pig's heart to a beam, how did you do it? Um, just a little note that my autocorrect on my document says cheating is spelt incorrectly in the sentence, your cheating heart. It should be cheating. Cheating. Your cheating heart. Yep, absolutely. So who is Connor cheating? Well, in reality, he's cheating the fake art syndicate. Right. He's cheating Giles and Leo. But but he's also having an affair with Ellen, therefore cheating Lawrence. Yes. Right. I, I get this episode and the episode 
with Tom Wilkinson, who does the painting, and it, it was in bed with everybody episode. Yes. I get these two episodes mixed up. I can understand that. Yeah. But the painting really isn't all that important here. No. Right? Well, the painting's not very important in that episode either. Then we get to see the choir, and it's like so many familiar faces. Absolutely. There's Joyce. Joyce is in the choir. Georgie. Georgie's in the choir. Max. Uh, Doctor Who. Sorry. No, not Doctor Who. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking of Leo. That guy who swears a lot. Yes. Max. Leo, who's John Shrapnel, who played Max. Poor John Shrapnel. We lost him this year, February 14th. Well, he died. Yeah. We didn't lose him. We know where he is. Cancer, maybe from the stogie. The stogie that he completely wastes. He takes two puffs off of it and just throws it in the ground. Throws it on the ground. I'm not a big fan of stogies, but he wastes that stogie. And you're right. Doctor Who, Peter Capaldi. Who, I'm going to go out on a limb here, is wasted in this episode. He does a great job. He does a great job. But he's a big enough actor. He could have done more. Peter Capaldi is the guy who yells a lot who you don't like but actually like. He's so good at being really angry and nasty. (laughs) Snark is his second language. There is a line in his show about politics. I forget the show, what the name of that show was. But he has a line that is full of obscenities that we repeat often in this house. (laughs) He's very quotable in that show. I completely forgot two roles that he's played that I should not have forgotten about. Okay. He played Islington in the TV movie version of Neverwhere. Yes. Back in that's 96. Right, back in 96. And I'm not sure I really knew who he was in 96. No. But I, I love Neil Gaiman, yeah. so I loved that show. I watched that on videotape. On VHS? VHS. Did you also watch Lair of the White Worm on oh, VHS? Because well, okay. he's in that too. Okay. I knew you were going to bring up Lair of the White Worm, which it can't even count as. A movie, is this a bad movie that Mark's seen? Because Mark owns this bad movie and has watched it several times in your presence. I, I've never seen it. I love Lair of the White Worm. I have it no interest in seeing it. It's one of my it. favorite <laughs> freaky deaky movies. It's Ken Russell, Peter Capaldi, and Hugh Grant. It is bonkers. It is 100% bonkers from start to finish. It's Absolutely fantastic. My point being that Peter Capaldi has been in a wide range of things. And for him to be in a Midsummer, I think means he probably just likes Midsummer and agreed to do it. I think so. But then had another booking that made him sort of disappear before they were done filming. At the end of the episode. (laughs) And I know they're not filmed in order. No. uh, Oh, he left. But his scenes are with Ellen. Mm-hmm. And in the church. Yeah. And then he's out. Oh, don't forget his creeping scenes. Oh, yes. He does look kind of cute in the head. In the, in the hoodie. hoodie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we got the choir who are preparing for the four village choir competition. And we know right away that Lawrence Barker, their choir director, is mortal enemies with the choir director from another church, Francis Crawford. Yes. Who is a reprehensible human being. They both are. He's a maximum nasty. Yeah. But see, I feel for Lawrence. I think he's really sad. Well, I think he loves his wife. I think he loves her. And I also think he wants to win because he thinks that it will 
restore his life in some yes, way. So I he's do. desperate to win for, for a reason other than just being nasty like Francis is. Yes, I agree with that. Connor passes out. Why does Connor pass out? I know he's seen the pig heart, but there's no real reason for him to pass out here. He's still in shock about it. Maybe. He had to touch it. I guess. To throw it away. I guess. I don't know why he does it. <laughs> because... It's one of those episodes, you know, we had a previous episode where everybody caught fire spontaneously in a church. And this one is the episode where people faint in church. Okay. So he faints, says he's okay, gets in the car. No way is Georgie letting him get in a car. No. But George is like, go see your GP. He's belligerent. Yeah. So who's going to stop him? And then he almost runs over the Barnabys. He almost kills Joyce. (laughs) But you know what's going to kill Joyce? That giant pie at the Green Man. <laughs> she eats that whole thing by herself. She's a goner. So Stephen goes back to the church later that night because he's left his choir folder there and finds Connor's phone. And then Peter Capaldi is just lurking around in the church. He's not the rector. He's not the vicar. He's just lurking. He's creepy Peter. <laughs> in my notes. Lawrence. <laughs> I'm going to win it. It will be glorious. Glorious. Sam John, Judd wanders and gets in trouble. <laughs> He's a twitcher. Yes. So at the Green Man, we have a moment between Barnaby and Joyce. Yes. First of all, Barnaby closes his menu too close to Joyce's face. I don't like that. I think it's funny. I don't. I don't think he closes it too close to her face. I think it's a big menu and he closes it quickly and definitively and it... They're sitting close together across the little table. She wants the wild mushroom risotto. (laughs) And she's like, oh, you should have the asabuco or the sweetbreads. I'm sorry. Wild mushroom risotto is not exotic. No. It's vegetarian risotto and it's good. But he wants a chicken pie that has the entire chicken in it. It's humongous. And then you get the sense that when he leaves and she's presented with both, she'd rather have the chicken pie anyway. Yeah. So why was she trying to drive him to eat something weird? Uh, I don't know. It's weird. He does a lot of the the Barnaby signature thing of leaving in the middle of important things in this episode. They kind of do it over and over and over again. Steven's upset because he's found Connor's body, right? He goes over to give Connor his phone. Steven, other than being kind of a wet noodle, does a lot of good in this episode. Like, he honestly wants to take Connor his phone. Yeah. And he honestly shows up at Carol when she needs a friend. I don't know where he went. We're, we're giving the impression that he went away for a bit. And when he College, came, maybe. When Is he it... came back, she had married somebody else. No, I don't think she's been married to Giles that long. No, I don't think so. So it must have been some other reason why he went away. And for a little while, I wondered whether it was Caro or Giles who owned the estate. Yeah. But I think the fact that Stephen and Caro knew each other for a long time means it's Caro's estate. I think so. And Giles has married into it. I think so. And that's why he's not so good at managing it. Because I think his whole complaint about being the estate manager... Is, is that it's a, not what he thought it would be. It's a new thing yeah. to him. He married her thinking that he was going to be Lord of the Manor, and actually he's a farm laborer <laughs> and a tour guide, right? When we, we find Connor dead, his brandy glass is broken, and they talk about brandy being a restorative. Yes. So maybe he had a glass of brandy because, because he had passed out. He passed out, so he had a glass of brandy. And that is an old trope. Yeah. Right? I remember my parents saying it. And you've seen it in a gazillion movies. Not that we had any brandy. Somebody passes brandy. out yeah. and they're given brandy. Yeah. To like, like if, if a woman passes out in a Cary Grant movie, he's there with the brandy. Yeah. Smelling salts. Okay, now she's awake. 
here's a glass of brandy, yeah. right? Do you think it would work to help you come around? Well, let's see. It's an alcohol, so it's a depressant. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if that's going to help, but it's a shock to the system. Why? Because it's brandy. It's like, it tastes like fire. <laughs> now, I also think it's smooth and caramely. Have you ever had any? Yeah, I've had some brandy. I've never found it smooth and caramely. Oh. But it's it's... It's not as good as whiskey, but very few things are. That's very Bernie. I wondered about this trope, so I looked into it. Yeah. Because that's what I do, you know? Yep. So I, I, I read a paper from the um, the NHS that was a history of alcohol as a restorative. Oh. It was very interesting. The The idea that it would restore you, of course, that, that conflicts with the fact that alcohol is a depressant, right? So it's yeah. not a stimulant. So what does it do? Um, and the most modern theory pharmacological theory is that it causes a reflex because of the stimulation in your mouth. Mm. So based on that, like a shot of lemon juice would probably bring you around too. Yeah. Anything that would be like strong tasting or hot or whatever. Um, But it's the history of this thinking that brandy would be helpful that I found most entertaining. Oh, okay. Why? Especially in the early twenties when there was prohibition in the United States, they did a survey of physicians And 51% of them, this is in 1921, 51% of them advocated prescribing whiskey, and 26% believed that beer was a, quote, necessary therapeutic agent. Hmm. Think they were in cahoots with anybody? (laughs) (laughs) Or that they wanted to have beer and whiskey themselves? Yeah. But what was most surprising was that they didn't just give people brandy a glass of brandy to bring them around. They were convinced, especially in the 1880s and 90s, they were convinced that brandy was like medicinal. Okay. So they used to give it by injection. Oh! They also used to give it rectally. Whoa! And intravenously. Oh, rectal brandy. That might be the name of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I found one case... Um, from the 1890s, where um, a woman had had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, Oof. which is, that's very bad. That's bad. Right? Um, and tons and tons of internal bleeding. That's that's a really, you know, catastrophic thing to happen. Yeah. Um, the doctors injected her uh, intravenously with eight and a half pints of hot saline and an ounce of brandy. Now, you only have nine pints of blood in your body. Yeah. And they put eight and a half pints of brandy water into her veins. That's not going to stop bleeding. No. But apparently she recovered. That's a mess. But it can't be thanks to that. No. (laughs) Gotta feel bloated after that. (laughs) And how drunk would you get? Oh. Intravenous alcohol? Oh. It would be bad. I don't know what's worse though, rectal alcohol or intravenous alcohol. I don't think I want to experience either. Yeah. So don't drink brandy, kids, to bring you around. Nope. Or do. I don't care. It's up to you. Hartsmead is not a happy home. They've had to open to the public. Yeah. Which, again, is an old country estate trope, right? These houses are very expensive to maintain. They don't produce any income anymore because most of the agricultural lands have been sold off. And so it's just a money dump. And so they have to give tours to bring in money. And Giles just doesn't want to do it. How long do you think they're open during the day? Just a few hours. Two to six. Two to six. And only certain months out of the year, right? Yeah, so there's house and garden prices, and then there's uh, grounds-only prices. If you want to wander the ground as a family, nine pounds, 20 pence. 
Which is an odd price. It's like, why not nine pounds or very, 10 pounds? Very strange price. The grounds are available, only are available from 3rd of April to the 31st of May. They take the summer off and then the 1st of no, January. No, they take the rest of the year House era. and ground yeah. is uh, 1st of January to 31st of November. We need to go back to Connor's house, though, before we dig too deep okay. into Hearts Meat. Okay. Because Connor's house downstairs is cozy. It is. Upstairs, it's weird. Oh, my God. Did you see the fishnet in his bathroom? Okay. That giant fishing net on the wall with the big fake fish in it? That's bizarre. I have a note that says, why does he have a fishnet? (laughs) (laughs) And I had forgotten about Ellen being a children's entertainer who might wear glitter. So when there was a heart-shaped piece of glitter in his bathtub, I thought, has he had a child in there? (laughs) Ew. There are no children in Midsummer. We know this. Fact. And then, and then the weird Jones cross-dressing thing. Yeah. Maybe he's read all of Barnaby's old case notes and knows about... Maybe he knows about the other episode that Leo was in. Yes. <laughs> Where we had the cross-dressing man. Yes. yes. And then forces him to get it out, get the pig's heart out of the, out of the trash can. Yeah. Why can't they just put gloves on? That's Why a, do they have to use them as handles? I don't Just know. put it on. It's a nice shot, though. They do, they have fun with that shot. Yes. The, 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 the photography's nice there. It is, in fact, a pig's heart. Yeah. And pig's heart in the animal kingdom are as close to a human heart as you can get. Now, there are some important differences between them. It's like we have four arteries that feed our heart and pigs only have two but they're close enough that when um, medical companies are are testing cardiac devices on humans they always test them on pig hearts first yeah because they're that similar they look very similar yeah and there's a, a surgeon in the uk who claims that by 2022 he'll be able to transplant pig hearts into people oh human uh Animal hybrids. Pig to human transplants. Mm. They already do pig to monkey transplants. Mm. Like gorillas and yeah. orangutans. Mm. They're not that successful, but they can help a big ape like that live a little bit longer. Mm. So, yeah, wouldn't they just go around to the butcher and say, who bought a pig heart recently? Yeah, I think. I would think that would be a pretty good place to start. And pig's heart, like, I know people eat beef heart. I've eat beef heart before. But I've never known anyone to eat pig's heart. I found all kinds of recipes for him. Mm, maybe we should try it. No, thank you. Okay. That's for other people to have. It's fine. If you like it, that's great. So Stephen has a thing for Caro. Yes. We know that. And Judd used to work for Hartsmead. But Giles had him fired. But Giles fired him without consulting Caro. Yeah. Caro's trying to keep an... Uh, like it's her family it's her family home yeah and she's trying to hold it together now we know that giles got took the painting down the bach painting yes what did he tell caro he did with it there was going to the city to be cleaned and reframed and she bought that uh apparently she did maybe he was spiking her drink for a little while what do you do with the second picture that's off the wall i don't know we don't know what that picture is i thought it was going to be the second episode in a row where people had to sell paintings to get money oh that's possible that would have been that would have made sense too that picture is interesting do we want to talk about the picture now we can it's a picture of of bach right now in the in the episode it is a pastel drawing i think they're trying to give us the impression that it's like 
a study for the painting that's so famous? I think that's what they're trying to imply. Because the real painting at this point in time... It's by Elias Gottlob Hausman, uh, who was born in 1695. The actual painting, the oil painting, was last sold for $122,000. That's interesting, because I have a different thing. It was sold at Freeman's in 2012. Oh, I wonder how that happened. Because I have an I have a a twenty fifteen news story that says the original painting was in the United States since nineteen fifty one. And well, it was given to a, a choir in the town where Gottlieb was from as a gift. He's a German. Yeah. That the American had owned it okay. and gave it to the German choir. Well, it may have changed hands in twenty twelve then. In the U.S., and then that person no, is the one who donated it. It, it says uh, Bill Shidey, who we know because mm. he sponsors every mid every masterpiece theater ever. Right. Uh, he, he is a fellow Bach aficionado. Bought it in 1951 to be, and he was convinced to bequeath it to the city of Leipzig in his will. Hmm. So we don't know where this painting is and who owns it. <laughs> yeah, because I, I found all kinds of documentation that it was sold at an auction in 2012. And then I went into, so it's actually Maybe called, there's more than one version of it. It's called J.S. Bach holding his riddle cannon. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about multiple versions in a second because something happens that drives me insane. So I went into what a riddle cannon was. Because that's the piece of music that he's holding in his hand in the painting, yes, right? Yes, which okay. is re- replicated. And so it's a, it's a piece of music that is, it's like a puzzle. Yeah. Given to, to people like Bach to play. They're, they're presented with it at the beginning of a performance and they have to play variations on it. That's kind of a fun challenge. So, so it's usually a phrase of music and you can play it upside down, you can play it backwards, you can play it in reverse harmony, you can play all these different things. And he just wailed on it. This was the thing about Bach that was incredible is that he was, if given a piece of music, he could transpose it mentally while playing. That's incredible. Yeah. That's like, you know, extreme jazz. If you've read the Go to Lesher Bach book, that's the whole Bach section is all about that. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's absolutely And people say classical music is stodgy and boring. Oh, it is absolutely (laughs) interesting. We read that book in high school and were completely enamored with Bach after that because of it. Bach is so much more of a kind of... He's a completely different person than Beethoven. Mm -hmm. Beethoven is all about melody and the sound of things and the beauty of that melody, while Bach is almost a clinician of music. It's much more scientific about it. Almost. technical. Almost. I need to read that book again. (laughs) So who lets Tom into Heartsmead? Because Tom is standing in the parlor where the paintings are missing. Yep. And Giles comes in and says, oh, Inspector Barnaby, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Caro is out in the field talking to Stephen. Yeah. So who let him in? Don't they don't have servants. It's not Jones. They, they don't can't have servants. No. Nope. I don't know. Maybe he let himself in and announced himself. <laughs> Inspector Barnaby here for Lord Giles. I guess. Never mind the fact that we haven't even covered the fact that everybody gets a letter. Well, you know who made the letters. Yes. Francis. Joyce. Joyce made the letter. Sitting there with her printer. Okay. <laughs> 
I have a problem with those letters. Everybody in the choir gets the letter. They're hand delivered. Who's going door to door delivering those letters and not being seen? They're not sent through the post. Certainly the dude, the other choir master who, who, who did it. Francis. Yeah. Francis, who is who a... Who skulks. Who is a big guy. He's a skulker McSkulkerson. Goes door to door to yeah. all of the choir members, has all of their home addresses, and slips that letter in without being seen by anybody? No. 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 The thing I want to talk about the painting, just to get back to it, Joyce is printing them out on her printer, that picture. Yeah. And, and there's another thing I'll get to when we get She's to. printing the dummy of their program. Okay. She's because, not printing the actual program. Because the, pro, the real programs are beautiful. They're on glossy paper. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, the fact that they asked Joyce to do the graphic design for the program. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Or maybe somebody else did and they just sent it to her and so she's printing it out to see it. But Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So they're at Hartsmead. And then Giles decides to to beat up Steven in the worst. <laughs> this is the worst, first of two bad fights. The worst fight. And I love Tom's reaction. Oh, go stop them before somebody gets hurt. <laughs> Jones goes running off and gets knocked into the water. They're practically doing like that little kid slap fight thing. It must be so cold. Well, he has to fall into the pond or we won't get to see him in the shower. Okay. We need to talk about this. Tom's house is closer. Yes. So he goes there to get cleaned up. That makes no sense at all. The Tom's house is close. He puts his wet clothes on the carpet instead of on the bathroom floor. And then there's the problem of the shower door. It's a misogynistic shower door. It is. It's blurry only to block men's parts. But not lady parts. Not lady parts. No. <laughs> and did you have a mental flash of Joyce in the shower? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Of course you did. You have to. <laughs> He's singing, oh, soul mio. Yes, he is. <laughs> because that's what you'd do if you have to take a shower at your boss's house. You'd sing so loud they can hear you After downstairs. leaving your wet stuff on the carpet. The wet stuff on the carpet just, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Jones, how could you? And where does Joyce find that leisure suit that she puts him in? Like, oh. wouldn't it have been like in a box in the attic or something? The 70s called. They want your suit back. But you know what? He looks pretty good in it. He does. He can pull it off and that's coming back. So, you know, Jones is set in fashion. Still can't believe misogynistic shower door. Wow. It's just like he's so there. <laughs> the camera, the camera starts at the bottom it's, and it's very well choreographed. So his back is to the camera when the camera is panning past his backside. But by the time he turns to face the camera, it's high enough that that part of the shower door is now out of frame. Yeah. Mind comment is, wow, that's some Jones opera singing ass. <laughs> He's got a cute little butt. Well, you can see anyway. So then we get to poor Lawrence's house and yes. we get to meet Ellen. Ellen. Don't you mean Rainbow. Ellen was also in Dead Man's Eleven. Yes. She played uh, Jane Cavendish, who you might remember as the uh, daughter-in-law who likes sweets. Yes. With the magic biscuits. Yes. She can never decide between the cheesecake and something else, and chocolate is her favorite, and she does a lot of finger licking. Yes. Played by Annabella uh, Apsian. I like his work, but Lawrence doesn't. Oh, she likes more than his work. Oh, yeah. Poor woman, though. The love of her life is dead. Yeah. And Lawrence is a turtleneck wearing grumpity grump. And I'm not saying he doesn't have the right to be grumpy, but 
Yes, she's a children's entertainer. As Rainbow, she does magic shows, face painting, balloons, puppets, games, and more. Does and she doesn't travel know to- how to comma or capitalize <laughs> any of it. <laughs> does she travel to all her gigs on that bike? I hope. Why does the entire choir ride bikes? <laughs> what was up with that shot? There's like a shot outside the church of 15 bikes. Well, they all live in the village, so I they guess. ride their bikes around. That's okay. But... It's pretty clear that Lawrence and Ellen don't live right in the village. They live kind of off of a country lane. Yep. And yet she rides her bike everywhere, which she can't do professionally. She can't ride that bike everywhere. she can. Well, I got really curious about children's entertainers in the UK because I thought, is she doing that because they desperately need the money or is it just something that she can do for herself? I sent you a link to, to a site. Yes. That was... Egregiously poorly designed website. Yes. And I don't think we can link to it because the poor man is just trying to earn a living. He's trying to earn a living. But wow, (laughs) whoever designed his website took him for some money. Yep. But I found so many fascinating children's performers. UK children's entertainers that are right there mid-England, right there near Oxfordshire. Is it a thing? It's a thing. We never did that. And in one of the new episodes, in the miniature murders, yes. she's a children's performer. Yes. Yes. It seems like if you have somebody who seems kind of unemployable, just make them a children's entertainer in a midsummer. I, I want to address something. Somebody said something on one of my Reverend Sue's gifts where she jumps in the back of the truck. They put... They picked out a particular occupation that Sue's is and said they never end up well in midsummer. No occupation ends up well. <laughs> None of them end up well. No. I can't say there's a any occupation. I don't think you can read into it that that, that midsummer's trying to say something yeah. about a particular occupation. Everybody comes off pretty Everybody bad. can. Yeah. Every job can. Yeah. So I found one children's entertainer who bragged about having played Baby Shark over 300 times at parties. Oh, wow. I found one that's now doing virtual parties via Zoom oh. for up to 100 children. Up How to, does that work? I guess he has a, he or she has a green screen at home and they do like a little show. I know, but like five-year-olds are sitting at a computer for a party. How, they're not going to sit there. No. But that's, Everybody who's had a birthday this year. Who wanted to have a party? I'm sorry, you couldn't I have feel a big so party. Bad. And hey, if you had a virtual party and it worked, more power to you. Well, we had a friend whose daughter was turning 13 and organized a nice little thing where she got a bunch of notes from people. But it's tough. It is tough. But these are not the most egregious sins committed by UK children's entertainers. Oh, okay. They all have websites where they list the kind of services they offer and the rates, right? Do, so if do you they just properly want, grammatize them. Yes. Okay. So if you just want like a one hour magic show, it's this. If you want a one hour magic show plus a puppet show, it's this. Okay. And so they have like menus, right? So you you know what you want to hire them for. I found one that I will not name. The okay. children's entertainer. Okay. But among the list of services that they provide yes. is a take aim party for children three to seven, which is traditional archery. Okay. You're on a list somewhere for oh, all the stuff that you're looking at. That's nothing. Okay. Same children's entertainer also hosts hour long tomahawk throwing parties. Okay. That's racist and dangerous. Recommended at the same for nine to 11. It's axe throwing or fencing parties ages five and up. This same guy also does foam parties for kids. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's bad. 
foam parties. And they're, they're surprisingly into having disco parties, too. There was a lot of disco. Do you think a five-year-old knows what a disco is? I don't know. I don't think they would. But disco is slang for bar still in the UK. Okay, so your five-year-old's having a bar party? I guess. I mean, if you're German, it's called the discotheque. Yeah. Maybe, it, but that's still, that's a bar. That's a nightclub. I always think a discotheque and a bibliotheque should get together. I just don't think I would want my nine-year-old going to an axe-throwing party. No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you not want to put in the hands of nine-year-olds? Axes. This, so, okay. Anyone who has children who has a dartboard, at some point in time, their nine-year-old has hit somebody else with a dart. Yes. It's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I hit my cousin. It's guaranteed. Yeah. Right? But it was a dart. Like It can't split their head open. Now, it could go in their eye, but that's about the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. You're not going to throw it hard enough to like pierce their skull. It's not yeah. lawn darts. No. Right? That was another but a, part. But an axe. Yeah. Or a crossbow. Oof. They had crossbow parties. <laughs> <laughs> like, hi, I'm Goofy the Clown, and I brought my tomahawks. What? <laughs> oh, and foam. What? Let's throw tomahawks while we're covered in mud. What? People pay you for this. What's your insurance rate? I want to know how much insurance do children's entertainers yes. have to pay to be able to host an axe throwing party? Well, Rainbow hosts none of those. No. But she does have a husband who gets angry at the end of that scene. Lawrence is justifiably grumpy. His life is falling apart. Yep. His wife has been having a long-term affair and now yep. the guy's dead and she still likes him better. I'm in love with the dead man. How often does Joyce cry that Barnaby can tell? <laughs> They've been married for a long time. And could then, you could you tell if I'd been crying? Yes, like I did the other day when you read that sad story about the puppy dog. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Okay. There's nothing new about that. Then we go back to another rehearsal because they does have rehearsal Carol, every day. Does Carol actually sing? Because she doesn't seem to show up to rehearsal. Well, once she's being held hostage, she stops well, no, going even to before practice. Before the hostage thing, she never goes. Well, she misses one. And they, they miss, they lose Connor, so they need another tenor, mm-hmm. right? But they also lose Caro, and it's like nothing. And then Leo. And then Leo. For the final performance, yeah. Leo's not there either. Yes. But Jones makes it. And when Jones shows up to sort of audition for the choir, he ingratiates himself to Lawrence by wearing the uniform. The turtleneck and sports coat. Yes, because boy, there are a lot of turtlenecks in this episode. <laughs> Jones is wearing a turtleneck. Lawrence is wearing the turtleneck. Leo is wearing the turtleneck. There are also some ladies in turtlenecks. Georgie wears a turtleneck. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I. I have a thing about turtlenecks. I don't even like button-up collared shirts. I don't like anything that close to my neck. It just yeah. bugs me. So when I see somebody in a turtleneck, I immediately feel claustrophobic just looking at them. But he, Lawrence's is worse. It also has the elasticated band at the bottom. It's not even a tuck-in uh, turtleneck. No. It's like a leisure turtleneck or yeah. something. And they sing Fair Phyllis Sitting All Alone. Okay. The That's, madrigal. Is that a farmer piece? It's a, a pastoral okay. madrigal that is also ribald. So the fact that they're singing it in a church, it's a porn song. Yeah, it is. So it's a story about a shepherdess yes. who is out with her sheep. Okay. And the local shepherds don't know where she's gone. Oh. So they look for her up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. And then one shepherd finds her and they fall a kissing and they kiss up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. 
You don't really have to think about that too much. Not a complex metaphor there. Yeah. But it, it is a, a classic. I mean, it's it's a very old song. And it's also very difficult to sing, not because the music is so difficult, but because it's also kind of a tongue twister. Yeah. Which was purposeful. Yeah. Because that made it fun to sing. Yeah. Fair Phyllis sitting all alone. Poor Sam Judd. He just wants to take a picture of those owls. And meet with Carol. He's trying to help her. He's trying to say, hey, your husband is deep in debt and he's up to something and you need to know. And I thought about this. So Leo shoots him here. Mm-hmm. In order for Leo to be there, Giles has to have listened into her phone conversation, which he did. Mm-hmm. And then tell Leo. So he's part of the murder plot. There. Oh, he's an accessory for yeah. sure. Yeah. So Caro gets a call. Giles listens in on it. That's Stephen Judd saying, meet me at the barn. I got some photos to show you. Sam Judd. Sam Judd, sorry. Meet me at the barn. I've got some photos to show you. She says, okay. So then he calls, Giles calls Leo and says, this is going down. We got to do something about it. So Leo goes out to the barn and shoots Judd. But then Caro comes across the barn and finds him. Giles has sped on the quad bike to catch up with her. Yes. But after he puts his arms around her and tries to lead her away, we see the hand come in and take the envelope out of dead Judd's hand, the envelope with the photos in it. Yes. So Leo was still there. Well, he had to be there because Leo moved the body. Yes, that's right. So Leo puts Judd's shotgun pocked body what in the back of his car or something. Uh, okay. And takes him to the graveyard and why, puts him on a big stone. Why display him in the graveyard? They do a horrible job of covering up the crime scene, too. Yeah. Because Socko Fox comes out. Socko Fox. Socko Fox. <laughs> we will talk about Socko Fox. Because <laughs> they go to the barn and Socko Fox is there to say, hey, Barnaby, there's some blood over here. I'm going to lick a little bit of it, but I just want you to know I love Socko Fox. And when Socko Fox... Licks the blood. He's in the middle of an open field. But then the next shot, he's right in front of the barn. Yes. And it's really muddy. So what? So they don't stop to say we should preserve the footprints. They no, just trudge right on trudge through. Trudge right on through. And touch everything, including Judd's hat. Well, Barnaby has some weird uh, ethics here because he just walks into the estate like he did before. Yes. It's retroactive authorization. He says, go get a search warrant. <laughs> and I had to pause it and laugh because we watch it with the subtitles on, right? Yeah. I'm watching it. And Barnaby says, Sam Judd's hat. Yes. But the subtitles say, some jerk's hat. <laughs> <laughs> and then Giles starts drugging Caro. It must have been local poachers. Giles mm. is not good at lying. It, you know, the only job that comes out good in Midsummer is poacher because they're never the culprit. <laughs> they get blamed for everything, they but they get don't do it. blamed for everything. And taxidermists. Yep. They're creepy, but okay. Yes. Right? So he's, so Giles tells jo- Jones and Barnaby that Caro has a concussion from flipping the quad bike. Yes. So she needs to sleep. Yes. Which is the opposite, opposite of what you do of for a concussion. <laughs> for a concussion. He's so bad at lying. He He's is. Really bad at lying. And then he starts giving her the Rohypnol. I feel really bad for Caro. Yeah. Because she is trapped. It, it is as close as they can get, keeping the tone of Midsummer, 
to a metaphor of a battered wife. Yeah. And they do. I mean, there are some battered spouses in Midsummer. There are some stories the, where women have bruises and like, stuff, but she's been held captive. Yeah. That it's extreme. Like he cuts the phone lines. He takes the phone away. He continues to drug her. Even when she resists, he gets her when she gets away, he takes her back. I have to say, and this is not funny because battered women, uh, it's, there's nothing oh, to joke about. It's nothing to joke about. But I have to admit, I kind of came up with a video game that was Carol trying to escape the ranch, <laughs> the house. <laughs> trying to escape the estate? Yes. Yeah. It might help if she put on a darker robe. He Maybe. puts her in white, makes it really easy to find her. Well, and she stumbles around like a stumble person. Of course she does. She's on her hypnol. <laughs> it's an anesthetic. It's not a sedative. Did you see the wallpaper? The blue and white wallpaper? The blue and white wallpaper. We've seen that wallpaper yes, before. Yes, we have. Then we know that Lawrence has been to Connor's house and he's dropped his tuning fork, yep. right? How did he know that Connor had photos of he and Ellen together? How does Lawrence know that? He said he wanted to get rid of the evidence, but I have a secret thing that but I think. But he goes right to his shelf where there yep. are photo albums. He only has a minute because he's distracted the officer guarding the house. Since they're both in the picture, I think he took them. <laughs> photos they were out on the moors having a picnic and they set up a tripod and a timer on a camera they're not trying to hide their affair no they're not oh it's not perfect but it's not a complete disaster then we get battle of the choir masters dun 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 fight finish him finish him francis is so horrible he says oh poor losers are so bad like but you're the winner and you're being bad about it that's worse Sore winners are the worst. I think they're much worse than sore losers because yeah. losers at least have something to be sore about. Yeah. But man, when Lawrence flings that beer in Francis's face, I'm like, you, you yeah. get him. And, and Dr. Who punches him. Wow, does he lays him out. Yep. Breaks his <laughs> nose, it looks like. And then he falls into a table. Yeah. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Yeah, he's, he's bitter soaked laying on the ground in more than one way, right? All in this, we, we see the Barnaby's laptop because that's what Joyce is printing. Right. And on the back of the, of the flyer, I saw something that caught my attention. So she's printing what will be the outside page of the flyer, folded in half, eight and a half by 11, folded yes. in half in the middle. And so, well, because that's what half means, duh, Sarah. And so... You see the painting on one half, and the other half will be the back of the program, and there's an, like an ad or something there? For Booth and Sons Funeral Parlor. Okay. And I was like, wait a minute. Booth sounds familiar. They're sponsoring the choir competition? Yeah. So Why is Booth familiar? I went through my note. Do you know where else we've seen the, word, the name Booth? Well, it's not the name of the funeral directors in the other episode. No. So I don't know. The lady who runs the school in two separate episodes, the superintendent of the school, is C. Booth. Oh, okay. Also, last episode, the chartered architects were Booth. Oh. So I'm like, hmm. What's this Booth thing? So I searched on IMDb and I found Paul Booth has done the art direction for almost all of the Midsummer episodes. Oh, so he's having a little joke. He's having a little joke. No one thinking, assuming wrong, 
that there aren't freaks like us who might notice. I noticed. <laughs> of course you noticed. So now be on the lookout for Booth. I think it's fun that he does that. I oh, think it's I think, great that he does that. I think it's awesome. Jones also has a computer. It has PWC identification data check version 4.13 on Ooh, it. and it finds Connor. It doesn't find Connor then, but yeah, it does eventually. And Barnaby goes to Costin Music, where there's a Ludwig drum kit in the front window. That's where he runs in Joyce, because they're going to have Kath and Georgie over for dinner. But this is actually... Well, okay. And she suggests a, a buco, osabuco, and sweetbreads. And bones and awful. Bones and awful. <laughs> That's a good joke. That's a good joke. And she goes, not the cheap stuff for the wine. But that music store was interesting to me because I, of course, wanted to find it then. And the thing is, the name of the music store is still up. They've covered part of it, but not all of it. They cover like the the actual sign that's immediately above the door, but not the one that's a little bit further down no. on the storefront. And the sign that's out by the street, they don't cover that at all. Oh. It's Martin Kleiser, Audio, Visual, and Home Control, 9 London and Beaconsfield. Where's Beaconsfield? It's in Buckinghamshire. But Beaconsfield has uh, a far more dubious claim to fame. What's that? So I, I've explained this to you before. If you're a prime minister and you call an election and you don't win your seat because in parliamentary system, if you... Uh, if you're an MP. Yeah, the prime minister is the leader of the party who sits, is an MP as well. Mm -hmm. So they have a riding and they have a constituents. And it would be like if, if President Clinton or Obama had to represent a riding as well as the whole country. Right. They were a congressman as well as being president. And if you lose that seat, what happens is somebody usually steps aside in a, in a, in a, in a, a riding that is guaranteed for you to win. Okay. And they have what's called a by-election, which is an election in the middle of between major elections. Gotcha. Tony Blair tried this in Beaconsfield. And he lost. So Beaconsfield was the second riding that yeah. somebody stepped aside to let him be elected there thinking it was a sure thing and he didn't win. And he lost. Wow. That is like the biggest parliamentarian insult ever. So then what happened? They was had he, to do it again. They did it again? Again. So that was a tri-election. Yeah. Or a, a quarter election. <laughs> or a oh shit election. Yeah. <laughs> It was certainly that. Wow. What a slap. Oh, I know. Beacon, the people and he was prime minister again. Yeah. Like they, they managed to pull it off in the third try. Yes. Wow. I think. <laughs> well, Barnaby doesn't buy cheap wine. He buys a $25 bottle of wine. 25 pounds now, bottle of wine. I have a phrase that I use. I use it far too often, but I use it. And that phrase is not dinner talk for any discussion of anything that's gross. It doesn't even have to be dinner for you to say this is not dinner it's talk. dinner somewhere. Somebody somewhere had an appetite and just lost it. My first note on this particular dinner party is it's not dinner talk. My first note is hearty har, George cuts, its fe cuts his pheasant in a Y incision. Yes. <laughs> because he just can't help himself. He's a coroner after all. So but he has to do that. The Biggest problem with this part is Kath's lack of moral compass. Now, Tom, you know, that's patient confidentiality. I'll call you tomorrow. 
she puts up <laughs> less of a fight than Cully did at the travel agency. <laughs> Data protection. Come around here. I'll show you. <laughs> uh, it's helpful to have friends, you know, friends in special jobs. Yep. Then we catch Francis lurking around the cemetery. We thought it was Judd all along. It wasn't Judd all along. Francis has been doing it. He's got a long distance microphone and he's twitching with a difference. Okay. To eavesdrop on the choir. That entire scene. Would that work? Would that mic do that? Well, that mic, probably a $30,000 mic. I'm like, don't lean that mic like that. <laughs> you can't like, throw that mic to the ground. I'm like completely worried about the mic in that scene. Because <laughs> it's a really good, expensive shotgun mic. Yeah. And maybe maybe part of the show's gear. The pro- I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. But... He would have needed what they call a dead cat on it. Which is the fluffy thing that blocks the wind sound out. Yes. Yeah. Because other But would than, he have even picked anything up through a limestone church? Uh, he it would have to point it through an open window. Like he, sound is movement and air movement. It right. doesn't really go through stone all that well. And even a window, a closed window wouldn't closed be that window, great, no. right? He wouldn't hear much more than he would hear just by listening closely outside the church. Yeah. And you can clearly hear them singing because Tom gets out of his car and pauses to listen. Yeah. So why does he need a shotgun mic anyway? Uh, To make me nervous. (laughs) It's like me when there's a scene when a character's in a car and one of them is supposed to be driving and keeps turning and looking at the passenger too long. And I'm like, look at the road. Look at the road. They're probably on a trailer and not even driving. But I'm like, look at the road. Yep. (laughs) Does everyone bike to choir practice? This is a note that I have. I think it's quaint that they all bike to choir practice. It'd sure. be nice to live in a village small enough that everybody could get around on bike. And it isn't that sure cute? is a nice shotgun, Mike. It would be a shame if somebody dropped it. <laughs> if they're going to treat it that way, they can just give it to you. Exactly. So... Caro tries to get away a couple of times. Giles keeps taking her back. Then Giles, the worst liar ever. He's caught. They see him in the water with her. Yeah. Oh, he was trying to save her. She was trying to kill herself. And he goes, I was running for help away from the house. I can't swim. And we see action Tom. Yep. You said you like Tom being athletic? Yep. Jones has already been wet in this episode, so it's Tom's turn to get wet. Yep. But we won't see Tom in the shower. No. He's too fancy for that. It's so cold. Yeah. It's got to be really cold. Because this is, what, January when they're filming? Yeah. Yeah. When they go and see Caro in hospital, because they take her away and take her to hospital after they fish her out of the pond, Jones has like Xeroxes of the photos that Judd took of the men at the casino. Yes. Where does he get them? He, okay. So this is where. They're not on the roll that was in Judd's pocket. Yes, they were. No, because he has hard copies and an envelope to give to Caro. So he's already had that film developed. I've been through all this. Okay. Okay. There are two films. Okay. Two roles. There's the role that Sam Judd had developed that has pictures on it that he printed that includes the picture of them with the painting that gets referred to later. Okay. Okay. That is one set of pictures. Okay. Then the role in his camera has them leaving the casino together and 
the owl prints on the last part of it. So Leo's an idiot not to have taken that out of his pocket when he was moving the body. Yes. Okay. And how is it? But he didn't know that they that he had been taking photographs of it. How is it that Francis it? can go into a house and take two photographs out of an album and drop his tuning fork? Tuning fork, and Sam Judd's body can be trudged hell all over Hell's Half Acre and not have the uh, film fall out. Well, you know, actually, that cemetery is not far away from where he was killed. Because remember, when they go to investigate his body, Jones and Barnaby slip through a gate directly into the estate. So that church is right on the estate. But still, they had to drag him there. And they had to pull him through a closed gate. Yeah. So that his head got all scraped up on the gate. Yeah. But then, you know, Tom and Barnaby, uh, Tom and uh, Jones just slipped through the same gate without disrupting that evidence at all. Not at all. And they don't even have Socko Fox to help them. No. Why would she, they put the, the forgery right in front of a window? I don't know. Why would they be like, here's the original and here's my fake right in front of this window that click, anybody click, could look in? Is Ro Hypno that easy to get? No, it's not. And did Leo get it from his ex-wife in the other episode? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he gets it, but he dissolves it in water and forces it down her throat. The poor woman. Yeah. But then, you know, they catch Leo. He confesses. Leo and Connor and Giles were all in debt because they all have gambling problems. So they come up with this plot. Chemical to, handcuffs. To steal the painting, the the chart, the past, pastel drawing, to duplicate it, sell the original and put the copy back. Yep. But Connor says, you know what? I've got the original. I'm going to sell it for myself and there's nothing you two can do about it. Which is... Absolutely what a thief would do. Yes. And he's already been arrested for he's forgery. And yeah, he's done time in prison. So we don't put him past him. And he wants to have a new life with Ellen. So then, so Leo whacks him on the head with the fire poker, right? A couple of times. And then washes his brandy glass and puts it away. Yeah. But when he's washing it, his hands are covered in blood. Covered in blood. <laughs> like, okay, first wash your hands. Then wash the glass. It was like I was teaching children how to do the dishes. Yes. <laughs> you can't wash dishes with dirty hands, Leo. Come on. <sighs> so then we have the choir competition. Lawrence doesn't show up. Georgie does this cheerleading thing. Yep. They perform. They win. Yay. Tom is so proud. Yay. And Cully's there. Yes. Because they made arrangements. The first time we <laughs> mentioned Cully in this entire well, episode. Well, there is a phone call a few minutes before. But that's it. Joyce leaves her a message to the, confirm. The, one of the problems we have with this episode is Cully's almost in this episode as much as Leo is. Yeah, but he's the killer. Yeah. But he's not alone in being the bad guy. I mean, Giles is a bad guy, too. Yeah. And we've got a lot more focus on Giles. But Leo kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I was sort of disappointed in that like yeah, yeah. come on I, mean, I don't know how they could have made it better other than to make it more apparent that leo and giles know each other or something but i think some stuff got left on the cutting room floor the um actor who plays giles is ronan vibert yes or vibert okay he always reminds me of a little bit of alan rickman his face yeah, looks a, a little bit, bit. He was in um, Shadow of the Vampire in 2000. Did you see that? Yes, I did. It's the movie about the making of Nosferatu. Starring a real vampire. That's the plot of the movie. Yeah. Nosferatu, the 
actor act- playing the vampire is a, is vampire. a vampire. Yeah. It's a very good movie. And um, I With Willem Dafoe in it. I was, I was surprised. The actress who plays Caro, yes. Sarah Stewart, she was Martha Wayne in Batman Begins. She plays Batman's mom. Yep. Did you recognize her from that? I did. And then the actor who plays Stephen Latimer. Stephen, we haven't talked a whole lot about. Yeah. He's Caro's you know, old boyfriend. He's the wet noodle, nice guy. But his name is Scott Handy. He is the only person I can say in that choir who is actually singing because he was a scholar of choral studies at Cambridge. Wow. So he's no doubt capable of singing. And definitely some of the women in the choir are able to sing. Well, I think they got some local choir. Yeah, and then they kind of mixed into yeah. them. Okay, are you ready for that movie looks awful, but I bet Mark's seen it? Yes, I'm okay. ready for this. We need a bumper for that. Next two weeks, we'll make a bumper for that. That movie looks awful, but Mark's seen it. Okay, this is a movie that John Shrapnel is in. Okay, Leo. John Shrapnel. It's a 2001 movie starring Antonio Banderas. Okay. A crucified body dated back to the first century AD is uncovered at an ancient cave in Jerusalem. Trouble ensues as word spreads. Oh, what is this? It's got Antonio Banderas. It's Antonio Banderas. It's called The Body. The Body. No, I haven't, haven't seen, seen it. it. No. Woo, one point for me. Yep. Okay, another John Shrapnel. Okay. 2006. Okay. Stars Bill Pullman. Okay. This is too easy. A humorous reconstruction of the 1995 scandal related to a fake documentary, The Alien Autopsy, about the Roswell incident. It's called Alien Autopsy. Have yeah. you seen it? I, I think I have. Pretty sure I have. Okay. One point for you. Now, Michael Fitzgerald, who plays Francis. Okay. Has been in a lot of things. He's a he's a very busy boy, and he does a lot of stage acting. And he just eats up the scenery. Yeah, he's, he's a, a fantastic, great actor. despicable character, fantastic actor, no yep. question. 1989. Okay, this is usually in my wheelhouse. Jeff Goldblum. Okay, a nasty comedian's assistant has allergy-induced sneezes, giving problems at work. He accepts weekly injections after seeing a cute nurse. Oh, I've seen this. I think we've actually mentioned this movie on the podcast before. Because Jeff Goldblum, we had a Jeff Goldblum thing in high school because of because of The Fly yeah. and Earth Girls Are Easy and yep. Buckaroo Banzai and all This those. is right around the same yeah. time. What is it called? The Tall Guy. Yes, yes, I've seen The Tall Guy. Okay. Definitely seen The Tall Guy. Last but not least. Okay. That movie looks awful, but Mark's seen it. Okay. I can't say this movie looks dreadful. It doesn't. It actually looks sort of interesting, but it's weird. So, okay. 1988. Okay, right in my wheelhouse. The plot centers around three women who have the same name, who all drown their husbands with the assistance of a coroner. The oh. other main character is the coroner's bizarre number-obsessed son, who narrates the movie. Oh, what is this movie? Directed by Peter Greenaway. Yes. Oh, yes. So this is Murder by Numbers. Drowning by drowning Numbers. Drowning by Numbers, yes. yes. Not Murder I've, by Numbers, it's I've Drowning by drowning Numbers. Drowning by Numbers maybe 10 times. So, it, you know, three women who all drown their husbands, and yet there are 100 deaths in the movie. The because, kid counts up to 100. Well, what happens? And, and Francis, Michael Fritz, Fitzgerald, is in it. Yes, so Drowning by Numbers is an interesting little movie because it's Peter Greenaway. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen a Peter Greenaway movie, he's like the David Lynch of England. Yes. Okay. And lived for a while in Carmel, Indiana. Did you know that? No, I didn't yeah, know that. It's very, That's about two hours away very from us. strange. The movie counts down. Because so. the little boy counts down, and the numbers appear somewhere on the scene, right? Every time somebody dies, there's a number from somewhere. From 100 down to one. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then you become obsessed with that and not the story. <laughs> so you kind of want somebody else to die so the next yeah. number will show up? Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, uh, it's it's a very weird film. Well, it's Peter Greenaway. If you've seen any Peter Greenaway films, they're all weird. Well, I didn't do too well this time. Yeah. Out of four movies, there's only one of them that you haven't seen. No, I definitely seen that movie. And definitely, I, I, I'd put... Lair of the White Worm, because Lair of the White Worm is not a normal movie by any stretch of the imagination. No. So it's an acid trip. It is a very weird ass movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Best corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. Connor or Judd? I'm going to go Judd with the eyes pecked out with the crows. Yeah. He has to lay on that tombstone. In a pretty precarious position. It does not look comfortable. Yeah. It, I, I'm going to go for Sam Judd as best corpse. After the credits. Well, Caro's better off. Do you think her and Steven get back together? I think they could be at least close friends. She's going to need somebody. I think so. She needs friends. Where did, where did Lawrence go? I'm worried about Lawrence. I got to tell you, he's come to terms with the end of his marriage. And he's lost the thing that he loves the most, which is the choir. He's turned his back on it. I'm worried he's driving towards the coast and going to jump off the cliffs. I'm a little worried. I would be if I didn't think that Peter Capaldi just had a conflict. Yeah, I think Peter (laughs) Capaldi just had a conflict. And so they just had to come up with something like, oh, he just, uh, uh, he left. Yeah, he left. Yeah. Francis, I think, does okay. Ellen is sad, but she has her painting. Leo and Giles go to jail. Caro divorces him, of course. Yeah. I think she's got some grounds for uh, divorcing him. Yeah. And poor Ellen. She, she's lost her lover. Yeah. Her marriage is in tatters, and she's come to the realization she never really loved him. Mm-hmm. She she's going to be a sad butterfly. She's going to be a sad butterfly. What about Francis? I think Francis would do okay. You know? He's got a good job. Yep. Nice house. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I wish I got a job that gave me a house like that. <laughs> Would you want to be that close to a church? Yeah. <laughs> be pretty loud. It's a free house. The bells and everything. Ah, well. Ah, well. Yeah. So I think um, I think probably Stephen comes out the least scathed yeah. of all the main characters. Yeah, like Carol's going to have PTSD for a long time. Oh, poor Carol. Yeah. I think Stephen takes over as choir master. Oh, he could. And beats Francis next year to a, uh, beats Lawrence next year to a pulp. If Stephen, the character, has the actor Scott Handy's choral skills, he could definitely be the director of Midsummer Worthy's choir. And maybe Carol uses it as a a way to get over her PTSD. She's going to need somebody to help her with the estate. Exactly. Maybe Stephen can help out. All right, that's Death in Chorus, Season 9, Episode 7. Thank you so much for listening to 50 episodes of us. Glorious Jones butt. I cannot believe we have 50 episodes. (laughs) That's how I want to end this. Glorious Jones butt. Glorious Jones butt. In a misogynistic shower door. Sucko Fox. (laughs) Midsummer Maniacs. I'm sorry. Sucko Fox is just fun to say. Sucko Fox is fun to say. Uh, Midsummer I'm not Maniacs drinking, I swear. Available on all the podcast platforms, including uh, Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. 
Uh, we have over 100 subscribers on YouTube. Just on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, lots of views on YouTube. And, and they so, all have homework, just like yep. the rest of you who listen yep. other places. Please do your homework. Send us messages we want to hear from yes. you. Yes, so we will be off for the next two weeks. Yes. Send us a message on, that just introduces yourself and says Sacco Fox yep. over and over again. Returning <laughs> August 17th with uh, next year's model. Maybe people will send us pictures Last of their misogynistic model. shower doors. Maybe. Oh, I would love to see more pictures of miso- misogynistic shower doors. My house, when the house I grew up in uh, as a kid had a misogynistic shower window. Ooh. Because it had a window that wasn't frosted because it was at the back of the house. <laughs> and it was at chest height. Uh-huh. It was at chest height. <laughs> we had a window in the shower. How weird is that? That's very weird. All right, maniacs. Until next time, we will see you in two weeks. And in the meantime, if you do your part, we'll do our part. And we will have an awesome uh, little mini episode to release in the meantime. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Suckle Fox. We kind of ended quiet there. We need to do something else.